Support for this podcast and the following message come from Humana. Employees are the heartbeat of your business. That's why Humana offers group dental, vision, life, and disability plans designed to protect them. Exceptional service, broad networks, and modern benefits. That's the power of human care. This year has been record-breaking for the climate. 2023 was the Earth's hottest summer, and the record-breaking heat continued into September. We've also experienced extreme weather that caused New York City's historic flooding last week and heightened natural disasters like Canada's wildfires. They scorched 37 million acres of land. That's roughly the size of New York State. We know the extreme heat and deadly disasters are made worse by climate change, and news like this can be disheartening. But we heard from many of you about springing into action, even if it's with cautious optimism. My name is Rory Schneider. I'm an electrician, and I work in Rapid City, South Dakota. I've been studying climate change way too much for way too long, and I find it to be quite frustrating, as you could imagine, because of the lack of action. But uh, my contribution this morning is just the fact that I'm going down the road with a trailer full of solar panels right now to install them. Hi, my name's Karen Porter, and I live in Alachua County in North Central Florida. And when you ask the question about fossil fuel use and what we're doing in our own hometowns, I really thought about it hard. And I realized that maybe we can work together as a country Hi, I'm Bonnie Monteleone, the Director of Plastic Ocean Project, and thank you for giving us a voice to share how our community is combating climate change. Plastic Ocean Project is making a full-length documentary called If the Ocean Could Talk to bring awareness to how we can reduce climate change by protecting whales. Today, we're talking about climate change solutions, from what you can do at home or in your community to what can be done on a larger scale through policy and industry action. This conversation is part of NPR's Climate Week, putting the spotlight on solutions. You can find even more information and hear about what people are doing in their communities at npr.org slash climateweek. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We've got a lot to get into. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you keep your stress bottled up, it can eat away at you. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to make them better. Try BetterHelp Online Therapy, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp at betterhelp.com NPR today to get 10% off your first month. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. This message comes from NPR's sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit TeladocHealth.com slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C Health slash What's Your Why. 
let's get into the conversation. Kate Marvel is a senior climate scientist at Project Drawdown. It's a nonprofit that provides resources and strategies for climate solutions. Kate, welcome to the program. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. Also with us is Zara Hirji, a climate reporter at Bloomberg News. Zara, welcome back. Thanks for having me. So before we talk solutions, Zara, let's discuss what we've seen this year in terms of our climate and heat. Give us some more details about what this year has been like. It has been very hot and not just record setting hot, but the margins that we're seeing in terms of how hot it has been has been bigger than we've seen before. So we had the hottest June on record, the hottest July on record, hottest August, and now the hottest September. And there is seemingly no end to this heat. And this is happening both a combination of you know, background levels of climate change that are going up and up on top of this El Nino system um, that started officially in June and will continue to sort of build on the layers of heat coming into the atmosphere that we're seeing over the next year or so. And Kate, put 2023 into context for us. How unusual has it been in terms of climate and extreme weather events? So I'll use some really technical scientific language here. It's been bonkers. <laughs> um, it is The heat that we've seen, especially in September, has not just been record-breaking, it's been record-shattering. Um, and this is something that we expect to see with climate change records, not just being broken, but being smashed by incredible margins. Zara, the heat is also being felt in the ocean and marine life. This is something you recently wrote about, uh, how coral reefs are being affected this year. What did you find? Yeah, so in particular, I've been paying close attention to this extreme marine heat wave that's been playing out along the coast of Florida, especially around the Florida Keys. And this is another area where they have seen not just really high heat, but really record-shattering heat. And that's not great for corals, which are these very sensitive creatures that have this symbiotic relationship with algae, and they really rely on that algae to get their energy and their color. But when it gets too hot, um, the algae sort of start having a negative effect on them. So they expel them off of the reefs and that leads to them bleaching or sort of going that white color, but also puts them more dramatically and seriously into a state of starvation. And so within just a few weeks that we started seeing this heat in mid-July, by the end of the month and early August, there was widespread bleaching for one particular reef, Chica Rocks. One scientist described it as every single coral was bleached and that it pretty much can't get more catastrophic than that. And what? But I will see, oh, I'll just say there's one little hopeful note in that as we get into September, um, while there has been a lot of that bleaching has led to mortality in a few areas of the reef where it's more shaded, so they're not getting that direct heat, there have been some signs of recovery mm. and resilience. And, and just explain when we see that bleaching in coral reefs, what does that mean for the ecosystem? What does it mean for the shoreline? Yeah, so these corals and coral reefs are pretty crucial. They provide this reef structure, which can be the home uh, to many types of sea creatures. I think there's one estimate that a quarter of all sea life can make its way through a reef at some point. So you get fish, you get big mammals. And so when you don't have the colorful reefs there, and these bleached reefs, these starving reefs, it's not as 
um, robust a home and it impacts, it has this trickle down impact across the ecosystem. As well as these reefs, especially in Florida, they're a destination. People want to go snorkeling, they want to see it. Um, it impacts tourism. And if the food isn't there, it can impact fishing. So it, it is both harmful for the environment and it can hurt local economies. Now, in the 2015 Paris Climate Agreement, countries agreed to limit global warming so that it doesn't exceed 1.5 degrees Celsius. Kate, we, we talk about the Paris Climate Agreement a lot, but where did that number come from? So the the science says that there's no particular threshold that we cross and everything is binary. Everything is suddenly different. 1.5 degrees Celsius was chosen as a high ambition target. We theoretically can limit warming to no more than 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. Now, there's nothing magic about that target. Um, What the science says is that every tenth of a degree matters, every ton of emissions avoided matters. Um, And so the science says that even if we do exceed 1.5 degrees Celsius, the world doesn't suddenly become a different place overnight. It says the thing to do is to try to limit warming to the extent possible. And Zara, how are we doing in limiting global temperatures so we don't reach that threshold? Not great. There was a report that the United Nations put out, and this is the group that also helps oversee and run the international climate negotiations, which the Paris Agreement came out of. Uh, So this new report in September was just the latest one to point out that we are very far behind on our goals. Specifically, we need to reduce global greenhouse gas emissions by 43% by 2030 and 60% by 2035 compared to 2019 levels if we actually want to achieve this goal of net zero CO2 emissions by 2050. So we have a lot of greenhouse gas emission reductions that we need to make in the next couple of years to hit the goals that we've set. So we, we've talked about how we're seeing the effects of climate change today. But now let's dig into some solutions, starting with two very different opinions on lawn care. This is Jim from Orlando, Florida. I've owned a tree and lawn service business here for about 37 years. And some of the things that we're doing in my community to impact global warming is switching from some of the native grasses that need mowing regularly over to artificial grass made of plastic that needs less mowing. My community is fighting the installation of an artificial turf field at a local park. It's not well known the contribution that plastic has to climate change, but between its origins in fossil fuel, its usage, and its disposal, it is a huge contributor to climate change. Thanks for those messages. Now, Kate, two people, one for plastic lawns, one advocating for a ban, both in the name of climate change. Your thoughts? Well, let's look at where emissions actually come from. Um, So when we're talking about emissions of greenhouse gases, roughly a quarter come from the way we produce electricity. So burning fossil fuels and coal, gas, oil in order to produce electricity. Um, Roughly uh, a quarter, probably a little bit less, come from our food system, food, agriculture, land use. So both deforestation, clearing land for crops, and methane emissions from livestock, for example. Um, And then there's another bucket, um, which is the industry bucket. And that's a little bit less than a quarter of greenhouse gas emissions coming from industry. And in that bucket, we've got things like petrochemical processes. We've got things like plastic manufacturing. So that 
that definitely falls within that industry bucket. Um, then you know, we've also got sources from transportation, the way we get around, um, and buildings, the way we heat our buildings and, and cook our buildings. Um, and so I think when we're making decisions about what to do about our lawns, it's really important to consider those things in context. Now, there's never going to be a single climate solution that's going to apply to everybody everywhere. But I think when we make our individual decisions about what to do, it's really, really helpful to have that framework in mind and to know exactly where our decisions fit in this broader global picture. Coming up, the best and worst climate policies we've implemented in the U.S., plus more from you. Back with more in a moment. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Amgen, a biotechnology pioneer leading the fight against the world's toughest diseases such as cancer, heart disease, asthma, and osteoporosis. In a new era of human health, Amgen continues to accelerate the pace of change, operating sustainably and drawing upon deep knowledge of science to push beyond what's known today. With each decade, they reliably deliver powerful new therapies to patients. Learn more at Amgen.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. This message comes from NPR sponsor ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people across your business, providing intelligent tools to help remove frustration and supercharge productivity. And all of that is built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Learn more at servicenow.com slash AI for people. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Bluehost. Try Bluehost Cloud, the hosting plan made for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, fast load times, and 24-7 support, your sites can handle high traffic spikes. Visit bluehost.com. All that sitting and swiping... Your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get back to our discussion about climate solutions. Kate, I'm curious to know, how often do you encounter this type of confusion when it comes to limiting our carbon footprint? All the time. And you can't blame people because this is an incredibly complex problem. Um, the fossil fuel industry has embedded itself in so many aspects of modern life. Um, but I think it's also really important to point out that it doesn't have to be that way. We do have almost all of the solutions that we need. And we certainly have all of the solutions that we need in order to make those big cuts and emissions that we need to make in order to limit warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. So I don't blame people for being confused um, because it does seem really overwhelming. But I would argue that once you actually start digging into where are the emissions coming from, then you start asking questions, oh, what can we do about them? And then ways forward actually become a lot clearer. Let's go back to our voicemail box. Hi, this is Cliff from Shaker Heights, Ohio. My question regarding climate discussion today is uh, the lack of uh, information 
in news broadcasts about car idling and um, providing advice. So many people sit in idle talking on the phone and texting, and they really don't even realize their car is running. Thanks for that message, Cliff. Zara, what information can you give them? Yeah, if your car is still running, then you are still using the fossil fuels that are powering that car, and you're still releasing emissions out of your your fuel pipe. And so you're contributing still to air pollution. That's contributing to smog as well as emissions. There's one stat from the Department of Energy that I've been thinking about. They estimate that heavy and light-duty vehicles together waste about 6 billion gallons of fuel during idling each year. And about half of that comes just from personal vehicles, which can emit some 30 million tons of carbon dioxide each year due to idling. We also got this message from Pat who emails, I make a small footprint and do not buy things I don't need. Also, laundry seems to be a good way to make a smaller footprint. True Earth and Earth Breeze are soap sheets the size of three by five cards, which do a whole load of laundry. Azara, we're hearing about people eating less meat, um, lots of laundry uh, information there. Uh, we've heard from people installing solar panels. What are some simple solutions people can do in their everyday lives to really make an impact? Well, those examples are great examples, and there's honestly so much people can do. Uh, Just following up on what your listeners have said, what you eat can contribute to climate change, and you can make changes. And so the biggest one is eating less meat, specifically eating less beef, which is among the most carbon-intensive foods. Um, So that one change could probably reduce a lot of emissions in your your life and your footprint, depending on how you eat. Um, Also reducing food waste. So if you're just wasting a lot of food, it's going into the trash, it's then sitting at a landfall that's contributing to emissions. So actually trying to be better about finishing your leftovers and getting creative so you're not tossing that food, that can also have a real impact. And then reducing your energy footprint at home, that's where using your dryer less, for example, or not at all, can come into play. But then you can also do things to specifically reduce your fossil fuel usage, both at home and out in the world. So there have been a lot of discussions this year. You can potentially switch over if you have a gas stove to an electric, especially an induction stove, or you can swap out your gas or oil boiler heating in your home to a heat pump, um, and you can use your car less, maybe walk more or rely on public transportation. Those are all things you can start to do today. And especially when it comes to making changes in your home, there's now a growing pot of money available at the federal level and increasingly at the state level to help you make those transitions, which can potentially be costly. Well, John emails, I ride my bike to work 90% of the time. Drivers, I realize I might be slowing you down for a few seconds. Take that time to reflect on what we all can do to save our future instead of laying on your horn and straining your voice about my perceived intellect. We also heard from some of you who are frustrated by a lack of action in your community. I live in Gainesville, Florida. My name is Karen Porter, and I am calling because... We used to be called the tree city. However, people and developers are cutting down trees at an alarming rate. You asked what Gainesville, Florida is doing to prevent climate change. 
nothing. Unfortunately, my municipality seems intent on widening roadways to create more heat island causing asphalt. And it has a team of employees going out and beating on residents who let their grass and other vegetation grow too tall, which reduces the possibility for transpiration and microclimates that might help reduce the temperature around here. I wish I had better news. Thanks for those messages. We also got this note from Holly Edgel, a managing editor from member station KCUR, who emails, I was interested in learning how the U.S. is doing when it comes to making our housing stock more climate resilient, especially when it comes to extreme heat. As I did this reporting, I learned a patchwork of building codes, debates over cost, and the lack of a national climate adaptation plan add up to a frustrating roadblock. We're running out of time. Kate, for for people who are living places where they don't see a lot of action being taken, what are some good steps they can they can take to try to encourage their municipality to do more? Oh, I feel that frustration so deeply, and I I really sympathize with it. Um, so thank you for fighting the good fight. Thank you for for trying. Um, what I would say is that none of us are individuals. We are all connected to broader networks. Um, so yes, we are all citizens of a country, um, residents of a country. We are all residents of our local communities. Local communities are a great things to get a great place to get things done, but they aren't the only avenue for those of us who really want to take climate action that's bigger than just ourselves. We're all members of families. We're all members of friend networks. We're all members of workplaces, school communities. And so looking at the networks that you're part of. Maybe you're not getting much headway with your local community board, for example. Maybe you can take action at your workplace. Drawdown has a great resource called Every Job is a Climate Job. So even if you're not a solar panel engineer or working to reduce methane from livestock, if you work in procurement, if you work in human relations, you can make your job a climate job and you can use your levers at your workplace in order to drive climate action in the workplace. So I would say to those folks, I feel your frustration. Thank you so much. And let's help you look around for other networks that you're part of where you can really push these solutions forward. Let's bring in a new voice. Sonia Agarwal is the chief executive officer at Energy Innovation. That's a nonprofit think tank that works on clean energy and climate policy. She was also a former special assistant to President Biden for climate policy and innovation, where she helped develop the Inflation Reduction Act and the bipartisan infrastructure law. Sonia, welcome to 1A. Thanks so much for having me, Jen. So the 2022 Inflation Reduction Act is the U.S.'s biggest single investment in combating climate change. As I said, you helped draft that bill. Talk us through some of the biggest effects it's had so far. Sure. So I think it's really important to start with the fact that this really is the largest step forward that the United States has ever made on climate. And it really put us back on the map as a nation that is serious about doing something in this last decisive decade for climate. Uh, The law puts us on track to cut emissions by 40% in 2030. 2030 is a year that a lot of people talk about in the climate community. We really need to make sure that we are reducing our emissions as much as we can by that date. And there's only 332 weeks until 2030. And so we're thinking about every week 
what can be the biggest impact that we can make on reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Um, So, you know, the impact of this law, just to put it in context, would be about the same as eliminating all the greenhouse gas emissions from the entire country of Japan. So that's one piece of legislation, the Inflation Reduction Act, which you might really not think is a climate bill based on the name. Um, But uh, I I have to say one of the other big things that we can do as individuals is really vote for people who are going to move us forward on climate at a large scale. We're really seeing already more than 120 clean energy manufacturing projects that have been announced in the one year since the bill was passed. And those are going to be worth more than $110 billion and create more than 70,000 jobs. And this is just a rate of spending on private manufacturing and industrial construction that is the highest since we ever began tracking this data, which was more than 60 years ago. So we're really talking about a very transformational moment for climate in this country. Now, the IRA included incentives for people in businesses to combat climate change, including tax incentives for electric vehicles. Here's a question from one of you. I was what the government can do to help subsidize EV infrastructure around the country, whether it's helping local businesses install EV stations or how EV infrastructure can be promoted through local business. Sonia? That's a great question because as we are seeing more and more electric vehicles be chosen by people around the country, we're really seeing a huge uptick in that and we're seeing that in other parts of the world too. So electric vehicles are just cool, they're popular and people are buying them, but but they need a place to plug them in. Um, and so that is actually a big area of work that the Biden administration has focused on. Um, there is some funding that we have been able to um, get through Congress and get starting to get deployed in communities. Um, but I think there's a lot more that local communities can do. So going back to what we were talking about earlier in the program about working with your local governments, with your uh, municipal governments, with county governments, it's it's definitely um, just the right time to be asking the question about what is our plan for uh supporting the electric cars that more and more people in our community are are starting to build. We'll stick with electric vehicles after the break and still to come, what are the biggest companies doing to combat climate change? One report says, well, not much. We'll talk about that and more in a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure. OCI is the platform for database, application development, and AI needs. Do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic. Take a free test drive at oracle.com slash NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from Bombas. Bombas makes absurdly soft socks, underwear, and t-shirts. And for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash NPR and use code NPR. Now back to what's being done or can be done to address human-caused climate change. I want to pick up with EVs. We got this email from Paul in South Florida who says, We do away with fossil fuel and people plug in 300 million cars every night. Where does all that electricity come from? Magic? Kate, what do you think? 
Um, well, I wish that we had magic. That would be a great climate solution. Unfortunately, nobody has yet discovered magic. Um, but it is true that we will need to expand the grid um, and expand our clean energy generation capacity in order to electrify the things that we need to electrify, not just the transport sector, but also all of the things that currently run on fossil fuels that are going to need to run on electricity. And I think that is an important opportunity to talk about another part of the climate solution. So it's not just replacing the current infrastructure we have with EVs. It's also thinking about how do we incentivize public transit? How do we build public transit that people can and want to use? How do we make our cities more walkable, more bikeable, and also more livable? So I think it's important to take that wider perspective as well. And I think I'm going to read between the lines here of Paul's email. I think he's really asking is electrification that much better for the climate? Will it move us off fossil fuels? Yes, I think right now, the things that we do that run on fossil fuels, to the extent that we can electrify those things, we absolutely should, because we know how to generate electricity in ways that don't emit carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases. So that's incredibly important. But at the same time, another part of the climate solution is reducing the demand for energy in the first place. Now, in June, CNN reported on research from ESG Book. This is a company that provides sustainability data. It found that a majority of the world's biggest companies have done almost nothing to cut down on their pollution. Sonia, what can be done to keep big businesses accountable? Yeah, I think it's such an important question, and big businesses are going to have an important role to play in, in how we get this all done. So I think, you know, Buying clean energy rather than dirty energy uh, is always a great place to start. So pretty much every business uses energy. Energy powers everything in our economy. And we have a choice. Uh, we can either buy fossil fuel-based energy or we can buy clean energy. Uh, and often now, uh, switching over to clean energy actually cuts the costs of energy for those businesses. And that can really help businesses stay profitable in, in all kinds of different economic situations. Uh, as an example, uh, Amazon employees convinced the company to buy 100,000 electric delivery trucks and pushed Amazon to enlist more than 200 large companies that are beyond Amazon. Amazon to meet their own ambitious climate targets. So there's definitely work that people can do, even if you're not switching careers into the clean energy industry, which is growing incredibly quickly. But just wherever you work, you can talk to people about what kind of energy are we buying and how can we shift to cleaner sources and save money at the same time. We got this email from Sue who says, food waste was briefly discussed earlier in the show. I was surprised that composting was not mentioned. Composting is one of the biggest ways to reduce food waste, and then you can turn around and use it to nourish your plants. We also got this email from Martha who says, the single most powerful action America can take is a federal policy putting a fee on the extraction of fossil fuels from the earth. We must all take individual steps to shrink our own carbon footprint, and one step is asking your congressional representative to co-sponsor legislation that puts a fee on the extraction of fossil fuels. I mean, Kate, let's let's zoom out to your mind. What are the most effective climate change solutions that could be implemented nationwide? 
Well, I agree with Sonia. I think the most effective thing that individuals can do is vote. Um, and really take this into consideration when you're making your decisions. Um, I think the listener who wrote in about food waste and composting is is absolutely right. Like, as Zara pointed out, about a third of food never makes it into anybody's belly. Um, and that is an incredible low-hanging fruit. If we reduce food waste um, and also we encourage composting, then I think you know, we can make a really, really, really big dent. But fundamentally, this is a, the, there is no one silver bullet. There is no one thing that is, going to call, that is going to solve climate change. And I think if we all come together and think about ways that we as communities, as families, as friend groups, as municipalities, and as a country can reduce emissions, then I think that will go a very, very long way. Zara, we've been talking about this through a very U.S.-focused lens, but the United Nations Climate Change Conference, or COP28, begins next month. It includes over 140 heads of states coming together to assess global efforts in addressing climate change. What are you expecting to take place this year? Yeah, so one of the interesting things that's happening this year is there's a global stock take, which is they're actually sort of assessing how they've done so far on their goals. And so that will hopefully, that that the report I mentioned earlier about how we aren't doing very well is tied to that effort. So it will be a reminder of where people are and how far they need to go. I think some of the controversial issues that are going to come up are a really honest conversation about fossil fuels and their role in the world and phasing down fossil fuels. And so expect discussions on people pushing for a phase out of coal, of oil, of gas, and seeing how other countries respond to that, how willing they will be, and if there are any kind of hard timelines that could be set. The other big thing is money. So developing countries have been promised a lot of country, a lot of money from developed countries to help respond to the disasters that are here today, to help prepare for future disasters, and to help empower their own economies to run in a cleaner way. And they're waiting on that money. And so discussions about how much money is available and when it can come are also going to be on the table. We got this email from Nina who says the city of Pensacola, Florida, has stopped city recycling for residents. Does recycling still matter today? Kate, what can you tell her? Recycling matters. Um, I think for a long time, recycling has been presented as this is the one thing that individuals can do to help save the environment. Um, I think that has been massively oversold. I think it is really important to not just recycle, but to think in general about how we can move toward a more sustainable, more circular economy. Um, I'm really encouraged by some of the steps that have been taken toward recycling, for example, the materials that go into electric vehicle batteries. Um, So I think while recycling is important and thinking about how we can expand and strengthen recycling programs is really crucial, um, I think we should be wary to not oversell that as a climate solution. We got a couple of comments about nuclear energy. Carolyn emails, I became disillusioned with the ability of renewables to really affect climate change. When I heard a local lecture on nuclear energy, I knew that was the way forward. We all need to get beyond the myths and media-hyped fears to learn the truth about nuclear. And Susan emails, I'm an advocate and speaker for nuclear power because it is reliable, affordable, dispatchable, and green. Its waste, which everyone is afraid of, is actually a benefit because it is all contained and disposed of safely. Uh, I want to you first on this one, Zara. Where does the discussion around nuclear energy stand today? 
I think it's increasingly seen as a key clean energy source that is sort of needed to help move the energy system away from fossil fuels. Um, And so there have been some older nuclear plants that were scheduled to go offline, which maybe will not go offline so quickly because they're actually a key part of states like California's effort to kind of go greener. Um, But there is still a lot of pushback, especially from different environmental groups that don't necessarily want to see nuclear as one of the climate solutions. It really depends on where you are, but I think it's not going away and people are going to increasingly be using it. It's just part of the problem is that many of the nuclear plants that were built are quite old and it is quite costly to kind of keep them up and running. And so there just needs to be more finance to help them stay online to do that. Sonia, briefly, anything to add? Sure, I agree with Zara um, about how costly these old nuclear facilities can be. And I would also just add that uh, renewables plus batteries uh, or other forms of energy storage can really be a reliable grid resource that is dispatchable, that provides all the type of reliability services that we make sure that we keep the lights on everywhere with with renewables and storage. Um, So I don't think it's quite as stark of an issue um, as sometimes people make it out to be, uh, and and renewables can really play an important role in the in the electricity system solution. Kate, as a climate scientist who hears really grim warnings about our warming Earth, how hopeful are you that we can put solutions in place in time? I don't have hope. I have something better than hope. I have certainty. Um, We know exactly what is causing climate change. Scientists are more sure that greenhouse gases are causing the earth to warm than we are that smoking causes cancer or that vegetables are good for you. There is really no serious scientific debate about this. Um, So because we are so sure what is causing the problem, we are also so sure that we know how to solve it. We have the solutions that we need right now, and they are better. So right now, solar and wind are the cheapest ways of generating electricity in human history. We have technologies. We just need to be deploying them at the speed and scale that's necessary. Well, we'll leave the conversation there. That's Kate Marvel, a senior climate scientist at Project Drawdown, Zara Hirji, a climate reporter at Bloomberg News, and Sonia Agarwal, the chief executive officer at Energy Innovation and a former special assistant to President Biden for climate policy. Thanks to you all. This conversation was part of NPR's Climate Week, putting the spotlight on solutions. You can find even more solutions and hear about what people are doing in their communities at npr.org slash climate week. And thanks for all of your great messages. Today's producer was Michelle Harvin. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk more soon. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. 
And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.